unexpectedly uh, Wednesday night. I don't know if you remember or if you even noticed. Um, at least it was unexpected for me. There was there were some pretty strong tropical force winds in in the area, unexpectedly, and I I know that because uh, Wednesday night the ladies were meeting. I I came with Lori and had some things to do in the office, and um, they were supposed to be done at 7:30, and uh, they weren't. And so about 7.45, I step out to see what's going on, and there was this wind, and like, I, where did this come from? And there were fronds down, and, and it was like uh, a sudden tropical storm. And I thought of uh, Hurricane Irma during that time, and you may be wondering, well, why did you think of Hurricane Irma in particular? Um, and I think it was because I had been thinking of this miracle, the miracle of the ten lepers. And now you're probably really confused. <laughs> How does all of that fit together? Well, let me explain. Uh, during Hurricane Irma, and I'm sure you remember that, it was for those of us in Lehigh Acres, it was actually worse for us than, than Ian in some sense. There was more water, and, and in fact, our our house was an island for about four days uh, with three or four feet of water in our streets and you will you will remember that well I was looking out the window during the hurricane and the water was gushing down our street in in this direction and all of a sudden I saw this basketball going down the middle of our street and Lori and I had just been talking about you know we're gonna be like castaway he was in the movie Castaway, and, and so I said, hey, Lori, come here. Wilson is floating down the street, and she came, and sure enough, there goes Wilson. Wilson is just floating down the street, and so I was thinking, you know, what did Wilson's dad go through that he had to create someone, and I was thinking about that, and the, the answer, obviously, is, is isolation, you know, and, and we thought, you know, we're going to be isolated. We're going to be like Castaway. There goes, there goes Wilson. Isolated. No one to talk to. No one to uh, help you in your daily activities. No one to eat a meal with you. Uh, total isolation. And so he creates a friend out of a ball. Well, a couple days later, as the water started to recede and we're on our island... Wilson comes floating down our road in the opposite direction. And I'd like for you to meet Wilson. <laughs> Wilson has been in our garage since Irma. But what I found out is this is really not Wilson. This is Wilson's cousin, Spalding. <laughs> Spalding came back to see us. You know, perhaps you've experienced that That isolation, whether it's been because of a health issue or whether it's been a, a relational breakup, um, you've experienced that, that loneliness or that desperation of, of no one there, that there's nothing left in your life. Well, you may feel like Spalding, you know, you've, you've got some dents, you've been through the storm, you've got some dents in your life and you've lost your bounce. Maybe you're feeling that way today. Remember that feeling and that sense of loneliness that, that came and the sense of desperation. 
Remember that time. And just remember that you come nowhere near what the lepers of Luke 17 must have experienced. I did a little reading on leprosy this week just because I was on this passage. I found this interesting article. It's called Biblical Leprosy Shedding Light on the Disease that Shuns. And I thought that's an appropriate title. I just want to read you a couple of excerpts from here. It says, in the Old Testament, the instances of leprosy most likely meant a variety of infectious skin diseases and even mold and mildew on clothing and walls. And if you look in, in Leviticus chapters 13, you will see all of the rules of, of leprosy. And if you look in Leviticus 14, you'll see what people had to go through if they were healed and how they had to go through uh, go to the priest and, and the priest would isolate them and then he would look at them again. If they looked a little bit better, he'd isolate them again for seven days at a time and finally he would, he would free them. He goes on and says, the precise meaning of leprosy in both the Old Testament and New is still in dispute but probably includes the modern Hansen's disease and other infectious skin diseases. For many centuries, leprosy was considered a curse of God, often associated with sin. It did not kill, but neither did it seem to end. Instead, it lingered for years, causing the tissues to degenerate and deforming the body. Many have thought leprosy a, a disease of the skin, but it's better classified a disease of the nervous system because it attacks the nerves. Its symptoms start in the skin and nervous system, then spread to other parts such as the hands, feet, face, earlobes. Patients with leprosy experience disfigurement of the skin and bones, twisting of the limbs, and curling of the fingers to form the characteristic claw hand. Facial changes include thickening of the outer ear and collapsing of the nose. Tumor-like growths called lepromas may form on the skin and then the respiratory tract and the optic nerve may deteriorate. The largest number of deformities develop from loss of pain, the pain sensation due to extensive nerve damage. For instance, inattentive patients may pick up a cup of boiling water without flinching. The leprosy, uh, leprosy destroys nerve endings that carry pain signals. Therefore, patients with advanced leprosy experience a total loss of physical pain. In fact, some leprosy patients have had their fingers eaten by rats in the sleep, in their sleep because they were totally unaware of it happening. The lack of pain receptors could not warn them of the danger. That is the disease that we are dealing with in, in um, Luke chapter 17. It makes the deserted island sound like a Caribbean cruise, doesn't it? The movie was called Castaway. The person who is a castaway is technically someone who's been shipwrecked or stranded on an isolated place. Well, these lepers were literal castaways. They had literally been cast away. The implications for them were severe. Physical hopelessness. Leprosy was known as the living death. Leprosy was believed to be harder to heal than to raise someone 
from the dead. Not only was there physical hopelessness, there was social isolation. These people lived as outcasts in society. They were thought to be cursed by God. They had lost their families. They had lost their, their friends. They had lost their work. They had lost their home. They had lost anything that we would consider normal in life. They were emotionally shamed. They required when someone got close to yell, unclean, unclean. And so they were treated with caution and they were treated with contempt by anyone who would walk near them. They were religiously excluded. They couldn't go to church. They couldn't go to the temple. They couldn't go to the synagogue because they were cursed from God. Miriam and, and King Uzziah are uh, examples of that. They could not approach a priest. They couldn't come to church and sing songs. They were totally isolated. So is there any surprise when they hear the news of Jesus coming brought by that that would, that would cause a ray of hope to come into their minds? This story is a story of, first of all, desperation. It's also a story of God's mercy. But mostly, I think it is a, a story of thanksgiving. It gives us opportunity that as we, as we celebrate together Thanksgiving, and as you celebrate Thanksgiving on, on Thursday with families and friends, it gives us the opportunity to stop and be reminded of that which we are to be thankful for. It's not about leprosy. It's about gratefulness. Leprosy is simply a means to gratefulness in this miracle. The miracle is about a sincerely grateful heart that's a result of understanding who Jesus is through what Jesus does in the life of a helpless person. You may have come through our doors today in a hopeless situation, or at least a situation that seems hopeless to you. The good news is that you can leave, you can go out through those doors with a grateful heart. Why? Because at the end of the day, this miracle is about Jesus. So on this Thanksgiving feast day, as we share a meal together, we look at a miracle that is about Jesus. It's a, it's a miracle of Jesus that shows us a, a hopeless but now grateful Samaritan leper who sees Jesus through what Jesus does in his life. And may that be the same for us today. So in, in these short verses verses 11 through 19, we want to see um, in this miracle three reasons to give thanks with a grateful heart as we just finished sing singing. What are the three reasons out of this miracle that we should have an attitude of, of gratitude to the Lord? That a, a sincerely grateful heart 
that results from seeing Jesus for what he does for those who are helpless. And we were all at one time, and maybe there are those here who still are spiritual lepers. We were isolated from God. We were spiritually hopeless. Uh, we were religiously excluded from the people of God. But Jesus, Jesus was sent by his Father. He was obedient to the point of death. He gave himself in our place on the cross for the cleansing of our sin to give us life, to give all who would believe life and abundant life and a hope for eternity. There are ten lepers in this story. One of them gets it. So the question for us is, am I of the nine or do I get it? So I just want to share three thoughts of, of thankfulness today. How we and why we should be grateful. And those three things are simply this. Jesus is approachable. Jesus is merciful. And Jesus saves. Let's look at those. Beginning in verse 11. First of all, give thanks with a grateful heart. Because Jesus is approachable. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing by along uh, between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. This section of Luke is known as the uh, journey section of Luke, uh, that Jesus journeys. He had, he had gone back and forth here and there uh, throughout Israel, teaching and performing miracles. And this is the, last week we had the 22nd of 37 miracles. This is the 32nd of 37 miracles, and it's unique to Luke. Only Luke talks about that, and there's really no wonder. Luke was a doctor. This would be something that would, would be of interest to him. He's the only one who records this, and this is the last trip or the last journey of Jesus before he enters Jerusalem the last time. It begins in, actually, in chapter uh, 9, in verse 51, um, says this, When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he began this trip to Jerusalem, going from village to village, and it ends in chapter 19, verse 28, which says this, And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And that is the point of his, what we know as his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. So between these chapters, we have the, the uh, comings and goings of Jesus for the last time on his trip to Jerusalem. And he performs five miracles in those travels. The other four miracles involve one person each. This miracle involves ten people. And so we're told Jesus is traveling between Samaria and Galilee. We don't know if he was going to a, a, a Jewish village or a Samaritan village. He's probably in this no man's land between the two 
um, between the two areas because we have both Jewish lepers and Samaritan lepers. You know, misery loves company. And you don't really care if you're persecuted in prison. You don't really care who you're with. You're going to get along with them. And that happens throughout uh, history during years of persecution. The, the, the Baptists and the Pentecostals were persecuted in the Russian uh, gulags at the same time. And there was no disagreement of what was important during that time. So misery loves company. So we find those of Samaritan background, this guy especially, and those who are Jewish, and there may have been others of other countries. And in verse 12, he tells us that they come to him. Now, if you're diagnosed with leprosy and, and you, have, um, you have suffered this quarantine, you will find that this is a lifetime quarantine unless you are healed that you are isolated for the rest of your life, that this solitary life, you have been removed from your family and from your church and from society. And there's this group of 10 companions suffering, suffering terribly. Maybe they don't feel the pain, but you can look at them and know that they're suffering terribly. They're made up of Jews and, and Samaritans, and they cry out, and I'm guessing this was not a this was a this was a choir of voices and probably weak voices because the leprosy had attacked their their vocal cords and they cry out with raspy voices due to the destruction of their larynx and, and the respiratory system. It probably took all ten of them to be heard and they cry out, Jesus, Master. Only used in, in Luke, by the way, very interesting. It just it's the word for, for teacher. It refers to his authority. They're recognizing the authority of Jesus. And we think, well, how did they know? How did they, I mean, they're, they're in this uh, leper colony. How do they even know about the authority of Jesus? Well, the question better asked would be, how would they not know about the authority of Jesus? He had been performing miracles everywhere. Everyone had heard about Jesus. He did things that the world had never seen before. So it's not surprising that even the lepers would know and they say, have mercy on us. They recognize their, their pitiful, hopeless condition and they say, pity us, have, have pity on us. They are desperate. And this man, Jesus, listens to their cry for mercy. Jesus is approachable, even by these lepers. He's the most approachable person who ever lived. He himself being an outcast. He himself being despised and rejected. And he has compassion on them. He has compassion on the least and, and compassion on the, the last and compassion on, on the lost. Hebrew says this, Therefore let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. He's approachable. The psalmist David said this, Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. 
He is approachable. Jesus himself says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You know, we have this picture of God sometimes as this ogre who hoards his compassion and needs persuasion to exercise it. Charles Spurgeon wrote a sermon. It's called The Approachableness of Jesus. And in that sermon, he gives all of the theological points of how Jesus is approachable. Being our priest, he is approachable. And being our savior, he is approachable. And he lists all of the theological reasons. And he comes down to this. And he says, but if you want the crowning argument, look yonder. The man who has lived a life of service at last dies a felon's death. Look upon his head girt with the crown of thorns. Mark well his cheeks once they have plucked off their, the hair. See the spittle from those scornful mouths straining his marred countenance. Mark the crimson rivers which are flowing from his back where they have scourged him. See his hands and his feet which are pierced with the nails and from the ensanguined rills, rills are flowing. Look to that face so full of anguish. Listen to his cry. I thirst, I thirst. And as you see him there expiring, can you think that he would spurn the seeker? Jesus is approachable. Even on the cross, the, three, the thief said, remember me when you come into your, into your kingdom. And, and what did Jesus say? This day, you will be with me in paradise. There are some here, you, you feel like Jesus is so far away from you. This leper will tell you that Jesus is approachable. Jesus wants us to come to him. He wants us to bring our needs to him. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you have been through, if you've never met him at all, you need to know Jesus is approachable. And we need to give thanks with a grateful heart because Jesus is approachable. He is our hope. Secondly, give thanks with a grateful heart because Jesus is merciful. Jesus is merciful. You know, the self-righteous miss out on this. Those of us who think we don't need mercy, who think we can do it ourselves, who have confidence in ourselves, we need to, with grateful hearts, give thanks to the Lord because Jesus is merciful. What is Jesus' response? Jesus' response is this. Let me get back to chapter 11. Jesus replied, here we go, got it somewhere here, I know it's in the New Testament, <laughs> Jesus, Jesus' response was this, go show yourselves to the priest, now Leviticus 14 tells us that, that it was, it's, that's what's expected, the Priests were the, the health inspectors. 
you would go to the priest, they would look at you. If you were clean, you would be clean. If it looked like you're improving, you'd be quarantined. At least twice quarantined, and then you would be, you would be freed. You would go to the priest, show them that you were healed. That's, that's what a good Jewish person would do. Why is Jesus doing that here? Well, one thing I think we can say is he's demanding an action. He's telling them, act like you are healed and go to the priest. This is an act of faith. He's asking them for an act of faith. And they obeyed and were told as they were going, they were cleansed. They went. Jesus was their only hope. They were desperate people, and, and desperate people do desperate things. You know, we talked last week about little faith, big faith. There's all kinds of faith, and they had a certain faith in Jesus here. It perhaps wasn't a saving faith, but they had faith that if they went, they would be healed. It was their only hope. And as they went, they were cleansed. And I can't imagine that scene as ten lepers are are heading to the priest, the fingers that had fallen off were now back in place. Or noses that had collapsed were, were, were reformed. As they're walking down the street, the sores that were oozing have now disappeared. And one of them, one of them went back to Jesus. The rest of them didn't really have time for that. Were they not grateful? Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure they were grateful. They were lepers, and now they're not lepers, but they're not so grateful that they wanted to go back and say thank you. You know, just a side note, as we look at this miracle, we're, we're reminded again, there's no fanfare here. Jesus, in a word, heals them. He, he, there are no lights, uh, no smoke, no um, no prayer cloth, nothing. It's just God being God in healing these. It's also ironic that he sends them to the priest. What's that make these priests do? These unbelieving priests now confirm the deity of Jesus. They could never deny his power. No one can do these things but God himself. Where were the nine when the one returned to Jesus? Some have suggested they, they just went home, they went back to their family, went back to their friends, they look at me, I, I'm clean. Most likely, they went to the priest. They were being good Jews. They obeyed the law. Perhaps they're thinking, we are God's people, we deserve to be healed. But they're hanging on to their religion. They're going to church. They're doing what good people in society do. All the while, missing the Savior. The response was the general attitude of all the Jews, uh, of Jesus' time anyway. They wanted the gifts, but not the giver. They had no interest in Jesus. They had, they had no use for Him. They were the people of God and God gives the people of God what the people of God deserve. There are many who go to church today so that God will love them. They put money in the offering plate so that God will love them. 
But the greatest blessing of God is that He accepts us sinful as we are. And when we understand that, then the gift, the gift is the giver. And the giver is the gift. And when we see Jesus for who He is, we want to live for Him. We want to worship Him. Why? Not because I have to do some religious duty, but we do it out of gratitude. You know, you cannot love others. You cannot love others until you have a gratitude for the love of God in your own life. Until you understand what God has truly done for you, you cannot love others. You cannot be approachable. That's a good question. How approachable are we? Do people come to us because we look like Jesus? You cannot love others until you are grateful. We have no resources. We have, it doesn't matter how smart you are, it doesn't matter how um, deserving we think we might be, it doesn't matter how much money we have. We can do nothing until we realize it's only by the mercy of God in our lives that we even exist, as Joshua, that we have our next breath. We need to be grateful today because Jesus is approachable. Jesus is merciful. He healed 10 lepers. He can bring healing in our lives. But we also need to be give thanks with a grateful heart because Jesus saves. It's one thing to be grateful. It's another thing to show gratefulness. One of them turned back. It says, praising God with a loud voice. I find that interesting. It is, you know, we can't prove any, anything here, but the ten cried out to God, and the one praised him with a loud voice. There's a difference here. I, I think it means his, he's been healed. He's been healed, and he's shouting at the top of his voice. He has now full vocal cords, and there's great emotion here. He's shouting at the top of his lungs, and he comes down and falls at his feet, and he worships Jesus. He wanted a relationship with Jesus. And this one, out of ten, this one knew where to worship God. It wasn't with the priests in the temple, but it was with Jesus. And we're told that this one is a Samaritan. This miracle is not about leprosy. It's about the gratitude of a Samaritan. Anyone reading this would have been shocked that Jesus healed the Samaritan and that the Samaritan was the one who came back. Samaritans despised Jews and Jews despised, despised Samaritans. You, rem, you remember that background in, in, the old, uh, in the Old Testament, in the... Um, in the diaspora, in the, um, what, do you, what do you call that again when they were exile, in the exile. In the north, there were ten tribes, in the south, two, Israel and Judah, Assyria, took care of 
the tribes in the north, Babylon in the south, and Assyria, the Samaritans were part of Israel in the north. And the Assyrians brought in other, um, other cultures, other nations, and the uh, Samaritans were shipped out, and there was intermingling, and there was intermarriage, and the Jews from that point on called them half-breeds, heretics. They're a cult. For, the, for a Jew, the, the, um, the story of the good Samaritan is an oxymoron. There is no there is no good Samaritan. And Jesus said, did only this foreigner return? What is Jesus doing here? I believe Jesus is opening the way, opening the way for all to come to him. That he is now approachable for all. That he has mercy on all. And he wants to save those who will believe. I say that because in Acts 8, in the very beginning of Acts 8, Philip uh, goes out of, of Jerusalem. And where does he go? He goes to Samaria. He goes to the place he never would have gone before. And Jesus here is opening the door for all of us. And in verse 19, he says to, to the Samaritan, Your faith has made you well. You may have a note in the bottom of your Bible that says your faith has saved you. Uh, I think that's probably a better translation because the word that is, is used here is also used for, for saved. It can be either one, but this word is not used up earlier when it says they were cleansed. Uh, it's not used when it says uh, they were healed. The Samaritan was saved. The Samaritan's faith was true saving faith. You know, it's one thing to be grateful for the mercies of God in our life. And we say, you know, I believe in God. I'm thankful that, you know, God has given me a, a job and, and God has given me, you know, a good family and, and God has blessed me. It's one, it's one thing to say those things. But it's another to show that you have saving faith in God. The Samaritan was saved. It wasn't just an expression of, great, of, of gratefulness. It was a show of salvation, a show of worship, a show that Jesus is God. How do we do that? How do we show that? What is the point of all this? All ten were healed. One returns praising God. One returns worshiping Jesus. The point is that the nine missed it. That this is about Jesus. This is about God. Leprosy is simply a means to an end in the story. There is a difference between loving a gift and loving the giver. And Jesus was approachable for even the lepers. He was merciful to all of the hopeless. They only wanted his gift though. They didn't want him. But the Samaritan wants Jesus. You know, one of the best illustrations I've, I've heard of this is the engagement ring. You know, when a, when a young man gives an engagement ring to um, the person he wants to marry, what does she do? She walks around like this. She shows everybody that ring. 
Look at my ring. Look at, look at that diamond. That took everything he's saved up to now to buy me that diamond. And look at that. This is the most beautiful diamond. But what happens if she never talks about her fiancé? I love this diamond. This is a great diamond. But what does he want her to do? He wants her to sit across the table and, and give him her hand and say, you know, I love this diamond, but I love you more than I love this diamond. He wants everyone to know that she loves him more than she loves that diamond. And it's the same way with Jesus. You know, do we love the gifts that he gives us? Or do we love the giver? Because he is both the giver and the gift. Do you love Jesus as the gift of life? Or are you satisfied with being in a nice church? Putting in, you know, our couple dollars in the offering plate. And like the nine... Never coming to Jesus in true thanksgiving and true worship. You know, in reality, all the gifts that we receive come from the Father above. And all the gifts from above lead to Jesus. Why? Because He gave Himself for us. How could we ever enjoy the gifts more than the giver. In Romans 5.8, it, it, it says God shows his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. How do we cultivate that attitude of gratitude in our lives? To give thanks in, in all circumstances. As Paul says, to always give thanks to God uh, the Father in everything, to show, uh, to know that every good and perfect gift is, is from above, coming down from the Father. How do we cultivate that mindset of gratitude? Two things, I think, come to mind. One is to practice gratitude. How do we practice gratitude? Well, we do it corporately and we do it personally. Corporately, we express appreciation to God. That is, we, we praise and give gratitude to God as we learn from His Word. You know, we, we learn from His Word, and that is, that is so important to do. But it is also important to show the gratitude of God that we get from His Word. And we do that through our singing, and we do it, we do it through uh, our prayer you know, in Romans chapter 1, when um, Paul opens up Romans, he says this, he says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness for men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known of God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived for ever since the creation of the world. He's saying God can be seen in, even in nature, in all things that he made. So they are without excuse. And then he says this, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or 
give thanks to him. The two sins of Romans 1, they did not worship him and they did not give thanks to him. We develop an attitude of gratitude in our worship. Not only corporately, but, but individually. We give thanks to him in our, in, our, in our prayers to him, in our personal time to him. We also do it in the busyness of our day. You ever stop in the middle of your day and say, thank you, Jesus, for what you've done in my life? I don't know who said it, but, but someone said that there are 86,400 seconds in every day. Have you taken one of them to be grateful to God? Practice gratitude. The other thing that came to my mind was to preach the gospel. And I don't mean stand out on the street corner and, and preach the gospel. If you want to do that, fine, you go ahead and do that. But I'm saying preach the gospel to yourself daily. We talk about this and this will change everything. Because gratitude in our lives, when we do that in our lives and we preach the gospel and we understand what God has done for us, it will cause the great commission to be fulfilled. It'll become go and tell rather than, rather than come and hear. We will want people to know, you know, I, I think sometimes, why is it so hard for me um, to say the name of Jesus out in, in my normal conversation when I'm with people? Why do I, why there's always this, you know, motivate myself to do that? Why, why, why is that so difficult? And I think it's because I don't have the gratitude for Jesus that I need to have for him. I don't truly comprehend what he has done for me in my life. Sometimes we think what we do is more important than how we do it. But God looks at the inward part of man. He wants us doing these things not because um, I have a religious obligation to do these things. But he wants us doing these things out of a heart of gratitude for what he's done for us. You know, it's hard to be bitter when you're saturated with the gospel. It's hard to be judgmental. It's hard to have a lack of passion when your mind is saturated with the gospel. The understanding that Jesus died a bitter death for my sin, that he rose from the dead defeating sin forever, that he gives me hope of an eternity with him, when we understand that, when we are saturated with that, when that is constantly in our minds, constantly in our thoughts, we become grateful people to God. Not only when life is good, but when things are difficult. Jesus asked, where are the nine? He asked us today, where are you? You might feel like Wilson here today. You might feel a little beat up. You've been through the storm. But a person of gratitude, a person of gratitude is grateful because Jesus, when we look like this, Jesus is approachable. Jesus is merciful. And Jesus saves. Has your faith made you whole?
May we be more grateful next year than we are today. What does that mean? It means that we have a better understanding of the gospel next year than we do even today. If you understand the gospel today and you are grateful to Jesus, praise the Lord. But may you be even more grateful next year as the gospel impacts your life with greater effect during this year.